Well, what a joy those baptisms were. We're going to jump right into a message this morning. Even though my time is limited, I'm still going to preach. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, if you would. Matthew 6, starting at verse 24 this morning. And we're going to jump right into it. This is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, starting at 24. Please hear the word of the Lord. I pray that we all have ears to hear today. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, how about that? Can somebody say easier said than done? (laughs) We live in a bizarre and I would say very worrisome time. So much so that worry kind of has a way of sticking itself to our souls, does it not? A recent study on anxiety indicated that Americans, 60% of Americans, list anxiety or worry as their number one daily temptation. And that's actually a good way to put it, daily temptation, because worry or anxiety is a natural thing that happens to us, but we choose to worry, don't we? (coughs) We naturally feel some worry, but then we choose to indulge it. And 60% of Americans called it their number one daily temptation. There is a fear for profit syndrome and current politics and media and social media all play into our fears, don't they? Like all of them across the aisles, they all play into our fears and there is a fear for profit syndrome out there that says, how can we gin up worry? How can we gin up fear because then we'll get more profits as they pay more attention to us because of their worries? 
There was an author a number of years ago who wrote a book describing this phenomenon. <laughs> she agrees. <laughs> Named Scott Bader Say, and he, he wrote a book titled this, The Little Freckle on Your Arm Might Be a Time Bomb. Yeah, I mean, we, we just kind of live that way, and we become a nation of nervous wrecks. And yet, into our psychological reality of so much fear and anxiety and worry, Jesus seems to be saying this. He seems to be saying that worry is worldly thinking and it wrecks the soul. At least as far as I can tell, in reading Matthew 6, well, which I just read to you, he seems to be saying that worry is worldly thinking and it wrecks the soul. Now this creates for me a lot of tension because, again, there's a lot to worry about today. Like perhaps you're a newcomer here today and you've just come to church for the first time. You see these seven baptisms and they were wonderful. And you say, and now this guy's going to preach after all that? You say, how long is he going to go? I'm not sure if my bladder cut can hold it. Maybe you're worrying about that. Okay, no more than 60 minutes, I promise. All right, more seriously, we, like we have real things to be worried about today. It's difficult to know anymore what's true or false. Every news outlet, every politician, every pastor, every church, every institution today seems to be under suspicion. Have you noticed? And this is worrisome for us. We've lost any coherent narrative about how to be good citizens or even how to be good neighbors. And in the absence of a coherent narrative... For example, the Judeo-Christian ethic, or even across many different religions of the world, a common agreement on something as simple as the golden rule, treat others as you would be treated, that used to be a common transcendent ethic that we could count on. And in the absence of that, what I notice happening is people are fractured into like 26 different communities. And we don't think of ourselves first and foremost as Christians. Don't think of ourselves second perhaps as Americans or something else. We think about all these different fractured communities where tribalism emerges and one is played against another. And it adds a lot of worry. Added to all of that is runaway inflation and plunging stock market accounts and contentious elections and $200 basketball shoes. I'm not kidding. Like, it's a lot to worry about. And this creates this fear for us. And worry plus fear, it leads to anger. I like the way Master Yoda put it. He said, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering. Come on, Master Yoda, you got it. All right, thanks for indulging me for a minute. Back to Jesus. Jesus seems to be saying in this passage that we have nothing to worry about. Seriously, that's what Jesus seems to be saying, that we have nothing to worry about. He seems to be saying Look at the flowers and how God provides for them. Look at the birds of the air and how beautifully 
God provides for them. Breathe deeply. And therefore he commands, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given unto you. Perhaps you would read this verse out loud from the screen with me. This is our key verse for our Pray 100 initiative. I hope you're even reading and thinking about this verse and praying through that daily prayer. God, make me a kingdom man, not a kingdom of this world man. A kingdom of God man, not a kingdom of this world man. As I do this, this is our key verse. Would you say it with me? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All these things that Jesus is talking about in the rest of the passage are things like food and clothing and shelter and love. Those are the things that God promises. And he will provide those things as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Well, what if we became kind of like a nervous free church? What if we trusted God so much, we trusted his ultimate kingdom will come, and when it does come, all will be well. Do you believe that? All will be well. And we trust that until then, our marching orders from Jesus are really quite simple. We are called to humbly love God, and we are called to humbly love and serve other people. It's really that simple. Those are our marching orders. It's called the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. We're called to humbly love God with all we got and love friends and enemies and neighbors and family, all of the above, love everyone. And then we're called to go tell others of Jesus' love for them. That is all. That's what we're called to. What if it's really that simple? Sounds pretty good, right? Jesus says, do these things, and all the rest will be taken care of you, taken care of for you. Now, we need to acknowledge that there is a difference between worry and concern. And here's how I'd break it down. The simple difference between worry and concern is this. Worry controls you, whereas you are able to control concern. Okay, so we all have concerns, and we should. Responsible people have proper concerns in this world. But you can look at your concerns, and they can motivate you to go fix them. They can motivate you to work on something that is not right. We all should have concerns over many things, but they tend to make us look out, whereas worry tends to make us shrivel inward. Okay, worry has this way of making us shrivel inward upon ourselves so we're not actually able to fix the things that are in front of us. And worry has a way of kind of attaching itself to our souls such that we're not able to do our daily functions nearly as well as we would otherwise. I would say this, anything that can be done with worry can be done much better without worry. Okay? And so we don't like hold on to worry as if it's a good possession or something. God does not intend us to live with it. Think about what worry does to us. Here are a couple definitions. The Greek language for worry, in which the New Testament well was written, worry speaks about being pulled apart. That's what worry means, or anxiety. It means to be pulled apart, pulled in different directions. The old English connotation for worry was to be strangled, to be choked, 
And those are good descriptions because when I am really worried, I feel pulled apart. I feel like a tangled mess, almost like a slinky inside. And it has these physical manifestations for me. I'm not sure about you, but for me, I hold my worry right here in my gut. For other people, it's like in their shoulders or in their neck. For some people, it's right in the center of their heart and it results in cardiac issues. For some people, worry results in ulcers. Like there are physical manifestations of this, even to the point of lack of coordination. Worry really affects us. It has a way of tearing us apart, even wrecking the soul. Again, let me just say it. Worry is worldly thinking and it wrecks the soul. And what I want to tell you is that Jesus doesn't want all that for us. We're going to have concerns. But Jesus wants something better for us than constant worry, which does damage to our soul. Instead, in the kingdom of God, if we really believe what is offered from the kingdom of God, we really believe what was offered as we celebrate this morning in baptism, we simply trust that in the end, all shall be well. In the kingdom of God, my friends, we can trust that all will ultimately be well. And what Jesus has been doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount is contrasting what it looks like to live in the kingdoms of this world with what it looks, to li- to, what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And I hope over these past six or seven weeks in our Citizens of Another Kingdom series, you've started to connect the dots and see what kingdom of God thinking and living really looks like. I pray that you've had ears to hear what Jesus teaches on his number one most frequent teaching, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, and you're starting to connect the dots as it relates to how our lives would be different if we follow King Jesus. And it's things like this. Kingdom of world people are not close to the brokenhearted. In fact, they tend to beat down the brokenhearted. The kingdom of God people are near to the brokenhearted and the beat down. Kingdom of this world people trade insults for insults. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's what kingdom of this world people do. Kingdom of God people say, you insult me, I bless you. I trade blessing for your insult. I pray for you as you might insult me. Completely different frame of reference. Kingdom of this world people approach the world either as a force, the world needs to be conquered, and I need to win all the arguments, or as a fortress that I need to retreat from the world because it's a dangerous and scary place. And what I want you to notice about either of those postures amongst people in this world, force or fortress, is that they are both motivated by fear. They look at this world, which is a scary place, and they fear it. So they either need to attack it, or they need to retreat from it. But kingdom of God people are different. They look for an opportunity to be salt and light, to be the fragrance of Christ wherever we would go. Kingdom of the world people think fear. Kingdom of God people look at our broken world, and they say, what an opportunity. See the difference? Kingdom of world people love, and they indulge in their lusts. I love the way Pastor Jordan said this a couple weeks ago. Whereas, kingdom of God people, they hate and they fight against their lusts. Do kingdom of God people still have lusts? Yes, we do. Okay? But we hate them. We hate them. And we fight against them. 
Whereas kingdom of this world, people just say, eh, what's the big deal? I love the way Pastor Hushai put it last week. He said, kingdom of this world, people, they tend to use spirituality for a show. Let me show you how spiritual I am. <laughs> Let me post it online as often as possible that you might give me some pats on the back. Kingdom of God people say, no, we practice our acts of piety in private because we don't do them for the applause of men and women. We do them for the applause of the one who alone is God. Kingdom of world people are constantly worried about their treasures and their health and their safety. That's what Jesus is saying here. They're constantly worried about how they look. Kingdom of God people do have some of those concerns, to be sure, but mostly we're able to live free from worry because our treasures are elsewhere. Friends, biblically speaking, we have no reason to ever be anxious. Now, that's not to say that I'm not ever anxious. I am. I can worry with some of the best of them. But it's stupid when I do. It's not biblical. It's not operating out of a Christian worldview when I do. I might say things like, well, I'm being responsible. No, that's stupid. You can be concerned and not worried. You can be responsible and not worried. And if I really believe what Jesus says, that he will clothe me more beautifully than Solomon in all of his splendor, and he'll provide for me more beautifully than the sunflowers, the lilies of the field, if I really believe the things that the Bible says, that Jesus has died for me, my my eternity is secure in his hands. That he loves my kids more than I can love my kids. If I really believe these things, then the kingdom of God is the safest place for me to be. Okay, this world, the kingdoms of this world are the most dangerous place you can be. But the kingdom of God is the safest place we can be. As Psalm 23 says, surely goodness and loving mercy shall follow me all the days of this life. And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever after I die. Amen. See, my friends, when we live under God's reign and for his righteousness, uh, Jesus is saying here that we can be as carefree as the sunflowers which follow the sun. We know full well that God has created us and God has made us beautiful. What, what, what if we raise, like girls particularly, I, I have a heart for young ladies, to understand how beautiful God has made them in his eyes as opposed to have to constantly position themselves as beautiful in the eyes of men. What if we taught the beautiful young ladies in our church that their beauty is an inner beauty? We taught them they didn't have to run after the worldly definitions of beauty all the time, but they are beautiful before God and they don't have to covet what they don't have. No need to be anxious related to looks is the idea of the flowers of the field because that's a never-ending trap and it wrecks the souls of our young ladies. Likewise, those who personally know Jesus, those who personally know his Father, know that God provides. And so like the birds who work really hard, so also we work really hard. Do you ever watch a robin building a nest? You should. Like, look at nature. Look at God's creation. There's so much order and beauty to it. It is majestic if you watch. You watch a bird building a nest, and you say, wow, that bird works hard. And yet, does that bird worry about the worms? 
the bird knows that God's going to provide the worms. Because God has made it that way. And so also we can know that God will provide the basics for our life. We can walk with ease through this world knowing that he'll provide us with basic food and drink. When our priority is in someone who's way above physical possessions and physical beauty, then anxiety over physical possessions and physical beauty actually becomes pointless. And we can take a deep breath. We can actually believe, as Jesus says in verse 34, I need not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. And if I worry about tomorrow, I actually end up doubling my troubles. And so I can be at peace knowing that God will provide the basics though that I need. Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount, which again, I believe is the greatest sermon that's ever been given. And I pray that you really chew on it and meditate on it regularly. I I hope as we kind of wrap up the Sermon on the Mount here, we have a number of additional messages in Citizens of Another Kingdom, but this will be the last one in the Sermon on the Mount. And the way he concludes all that he has said, that we've talked about for the past seven weeks, I believe, in the Sermon on the Mount, the way he concludes all of that is with this invitation for us to either build our house on the rock of all that he said, or to build our house on sand of worldly thinking. And he says we each have that option all the time. He puts it this way, Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, in response to everything I've said about kingdom of world thinking versus kingdom of God thinking, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, in other words, everyone who hears these words and have ears to hear these words. I want to tell you, there's people who come to church every week and they don't have ears to hear. Like, there's people who come and they just, they let it go in one ear and out the other. And those are people who build their house on a rock. Excuse me, those are people who build their house on sand. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does what I say, puts them into practice. Everyone who has ears to, ear, ears to hear is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't have ears to hear, they let them go in one side and out the other. They do not put them into practice. That one is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. The question for us is this each and every day. Am I building the house of my life on the sovereignty, on the goodness on the love of God. And if I am, I'm building my house on the rock. Or am I building my house each and every day on things like status or wealth or human approval or good looks or possessions or you fill in the blank? And if you're doing that, you want to look honestly in the mirror and admit it. Because someday your house will come down 
like one built on sand. This is exactly what Jesus is referring to at the very beginning of this message, Matthew 6, 24, when he says simply, no, no one can serve two masters. You either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot love both God and... Okay, Jesus says money, but you could fill in the blank there with whatever it is for you. You, you just can't do it. He's saying, you're going to be in an anxious tug of war deep within your soul. I'm going to be in an anxious tug of war deep within my soul if the reality is that I love something else as much as I love God. I serve something else as much as I serve God. And what you want to do, what we all want to do on a regular basis, is just be very honest about what we would put in that fill in the blank because the simple fact is, in my experience anyway, with people that I've talked to over the years, life really has room for just one priority. And if you get that one priority right, then all the other priorities will, will fall in their proper place and they'll go a whole lot better. But if you get that one priority wrong, then you have a whole lot of needless anxiety in your life. And so we center ourselves again and again, day after day, on the rock that is Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul had to put all of this into practice with his church, and he had to do so personally. And I want to just share from one additional passage here as I wrap up a few simple applications, but because I know you could, you could be saying right now, okay, Adrian, all that is fine. Jesus tells us not to worry, and that worry is worldly thinking, and it wrecks our soul, and I get all of that. But worry is a constant struggle for me, so how do I fight against it? I want to just give you a few simple ways that you can begin to fight against it. The Apostle Paul had to do this well, when he wrote his letter to the Philippian church. The Philippian church was a very impoverished church that would have worried about many of the different things that we worry about regularly. And the Apostle Paul, which we oftentimes forget about, he wrote half of the New Testament. He was the great church planter, but he lived a life of incredible suffering. And when he writes this letter to the Philippian church, he's in a jail cell and he's worried about whether he'll be able to keep his head. Will the emperor kill him in that jail cell? And so he processes through the words of Jesus and then applies them to his own life as he also applies them to, to the church in Philippi here in Philippians chapter 4. This is so beautiful. There is so much in this, but I'll just speak on it for a few moments as we look at a few applications. It says this, Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's like the greatest exchange ever. Finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. Chew on such things. Meditate on such things. Whatever you have seen from me or heard from me or learned from me, put it into practice, Paul says. And as you do these things, the reward, the promise is, the God of all peace shall be with you. My God shall supply all of your basic needs 
according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Let me just share with you three simple applications from this that we can do starting today to fight our anxieties. The first one is the choice to rejoice every day. We have a choice to rejoice when we, when we wake up in the morning or not. And I gotta tell you, some mornings I wake up with a pit of anxiety in my belly. And in the moment, when I do, I have to make the choice to take out my journal and write down a handful of things that I'm thankful for. And I do. That's my daily practice Well, when I'm struggling well with worry. And oftentimes, well, when I'm just kind of in a down season, now this is what I do. I write down five things that I can rejoice over, five things that I can give thanks for today. We choose to rejoice over what is good. Friends, you have to choose to rejoice in your imperfect marriage as opposed to covet someone else's imperfect marriage. You have to choose to rejoice in your health and in your sickness rather than choosing to covet somebody else's health. And I have areas of unhealth in my body as well. I have to choose to rejoice in those. You have to choose to rejoice in the beauty of God's creation. You have to choose to rejoice in your job, even if it's not the kind of job that you really want right now. Even if you might covet another job, you know that covetousness is ruinous to the soul, and so you choose to rejoice. This is our choice every day. I love the way Chuck Swindoll put it years ago. He said, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to it. Attitude. Attitude is our choice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice, Paul says. Number two, release your cares to God through prayer. So we have this wonderful weapon that God has given us for, for the spiritual war that we're in, that we can pray to God each and every day, acknowledging to him, here's the things that, that I'm anxious about. Here's where I'm worried right now. And God, I give this to you. And the Bible that I just read says, he gives to us an exchange as we pray to him with thanksgiving, he gives to us an exchange, his peace that passes all understanding. And sometimes you need to do this repeatedly throughout the day, but, but you say, Lord, I, I'm nervous for my kids. I'm anxious for what my sons are going through right now. I'm worried about my health. I surrender this to you, and I ask you, Lord, to give me your peace instead. I was talking to, to a woman a couple weeks ago who's kind of down on her luck right now. We were talking about the, this very issue of worry or anxiety. And she said to me, well, without missing a beat, she said, Adrian, I'm really good at giving my worries to God, but then I'm also really good at taking them back. Anyone else? Okay. <laughs> so, friends, you might need to do this 10 times a day. You might need to memorize Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And then release your cares by prayer to God 10 or 12 or 20 or 100 times a day. And then the last one is this, reflect upon what is good. Paul is a brilliant psychologist way before his time. And he understands that this reality of neural networks in our brain, that we have a choice every day either to reflect on things that are good and right and true and lovely and pure and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. We can choose to dwell upon those kinds of things. Or he understands we can choose to dwell on fear and anxiety 
and hatred and judgmentalism and politics and anger and all the rest. And what you choose to dwell upon day in and day out will become rutted into your brain. It becomes part of your neural networks that we start to develop these habituated ways of thinking by the choice that we make every day on what we will think on. So the question is, do we want habituated patterns of worry? That's our choice. Or do we want habituated patterns of what is pure and right and good and lovely? And that's our choice as well. You can do something as simple as this. You put a Bible verse in your pocket that really brings you peace and you look at it throughout the day. You put it on your phone and you look at it throughout the day. Maybe there's a certain image of Jesus that's really powerful for you or a certain story of Jesus, one of the parables that's really powerful for you and you get that image in your mind and you dwell on it throughout the day and this becomes a habituated part of our thought life. And as our thought life changes, so our worries diminish. We are a result of our thought life. Friends, this world is a crazy place. And I understand that there's all kinds of reasons to worry. But the simple fact is, habituated worry wrecks the soul. But in the kingdom of God, we trust that all will be well. We trust that all will be well. So Father, we just want to pray to you for a moment here. And uh, we want to ask for your help with these things. And just admit to you right now for a moment that we all do have many worries, many anxieties. And we would desire to live in the worry-free kingdom of God. But we also admit that it's really hard to get there. And so we're just going to practice for a moment here right now. And um, I'm going to ask you to join me in just a really simple prayer. You could kind of extend your hands out with me and open your palms. And that's a receptive posture to God. I'm just going to lead you through these three applications. And perhaps you'd pray with me. This is a good way for you to pray every day if you're struggling with anxiety right now. Father, we take just a moment right now to rejoice on what is good. We rejoice in your goodness. We rejoice in the beauty of your creation. We rejoice in good relationships. We rejoice in this church. We rejoice in 13 stories today of life change. Thank you, God. And right now, Lord, as our hands are outstretched to you, we, we choose to release our cares to you by prayer.
I don't make light of the worries that we have. We all do. But Lord, we thank you that you want something better for us. And so we choose right now to release our cares to you. Father in heaven, would you please take our worries? Would you please take them from our hands? And we ask, Father, by your grace, would you please give us your peace instead? Would you help us to seek your kingdom and your righteousness today above all things, such that we can trust you with the things we're concerned about now. We release our cares to your strong hands. And finally, Father, we just choose to reflect on what is good. We could reflect on what's lousy right now, but we choose instead to reflect on what's good and what's pure and lovely what's admirable and praiseworthy. And we thank you for these things, Father. And we ask, God, that you'd help us to set our mind on such things. Thank you, Lord, for our children. Thank you, Lord, for the health that we have. Thank you, Lord, that you're strong for us when we are sick. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you took on the cross for us. Please help us now, Lord, to meditate on what is good and pure and lovely and right. Father, in all these things, would you give us courage to stand in your strength and underneath your great will to live in your kingdom and therefore to be free of some of these worries that burden us so much. Thank you, God, that you desire something better for us. We confess that we desire that too. In Jesus' name, amen.